let's open our Bibles to the last book, to the uh, book of the Revelation. In a few moments, we're actually going to back up in chapter 22 and look at verses, though, going from the very last verse that describes salvation onwards. So just be there and be prepared. But allowing Revelation to uh, impact our lives today, we are actually in the second time looking at this because there are four elements and we can't cram them all into one. But we saw last time that only the Bible has the authoritative last word, actual eyewitness account of heaven. All others are either speculation or they're not true because only God reveals what is going on in heaven. And by the way, the scriptures clearly say that those who have gone to heaven and come back uh, never had the kind of the cavalier attitude we see in these books today where they just endlessly speculate. The second thing we saw last time is that not only does God describe heaven, he describes hell. So God says there's an eternal heaven and hell. And uh, one is to be sought and the other is to be avoided at all costs. But this morning, uh, God's voice from heaven in Revelation 4 and 5 demands one way of salvation. And, and let me share that with you this morning. There is only one road that leads to heaven. And, and you say, I, we know that's why we're here. We, that's why we have our Bible. That's why we believe the truth of the Bible. Yes, but across our country and around the world, there's a growing chorus of voices saying, you can't be exclusive. You can't say that. And, and we have not yet fully understood what it means now that, that the world is so connected. Uh, events are starting to happen globally. And we know the Bible says there's going to come a global event where everybody in the world is going to hate those who follow Jesus Christ. And it, and it used to be there were pockets of hatred, but now that the world's connected, it's going to be universal. It's going to be a very difficult time. But there's only one road to heaven. And what the Bible tells us is that we should be beware of the wrong pathway to heaven. Today, religions all across America and around the world have, have come to a place where they're presenting a gospel that is incorrect. And, and let me show you what I mean by that. Uh, the wrong pathway to heaven, first of all, is the religions that offer a bloodless path. Now you say, what do you mean bloodless? Well, every time the hymn books, especially it came about in the, the kind of national denominations, when they redid the hymn books, one of the things they did is they started slowly changing the wording so that blood wasn't in there. Because it's offensive to people to talk about Jesus shedding his blood. They like to say he gave his life, but they don't want that term blood. So beware of a bloodless path to heaven. Secondly, this path allows people a comfortable journey to heaven. Something about the, the new way to heaven is it's very comfortable. It's kind of like first class. Uh, I mean, it's air conditioned, soft seats, no pain, no struggle, no uh, coming to the point of of utter unworthiness before the Lord. In fact, that's gone out of the hymns too. Remember, for such a worm has I, as it used to say in the great old hymns, no, no, we aren't worms. You know, we're, we're great. Uh, they walk upright and unbowed. They go at their own speed and their own strength. And most of all, they get to follow their own path to heaven. That is the wrong pathway to heaven, to self-styled in my own strength, the way I want to do it, at my own speed, you know, I'm going to do this and work it out, is wrong. 
Some try to head to heaven by way of mystical religious experience. Boy, that sells well. People love to be doing something to go to heaven. And so if they can go to a mystical place or if they can have a mystical experience or if they can hear something no one else has ever heard before. By the way, if you hear something, especially it's taught from the Bible that you've never heard before, if nobody in the history of Bible study interpretation has ever, ever, ever come up with that idea, it would be something to really look closely at. Every time someone says they just found uh, the most recent, uh, you know, manuscript that, that some piece of paper they found in some part of the desert said something about Jesus had a wife. And the, I mean, the news won't report major events and scandals, but if they find one shred of something that is shocking about the Bible or Christianity, it's on every newscast. People always want some mystical or some rigorous ascetic denial. People love to to earn their way to heaven. Another wrong pathway is some follow the road to heaven designed by their church. And what's interesting, those churches often say, you know, you don't have to worry about the Bible, just do what we tell you to do. And there are both Catholics and Protestants and others by their synagogues, uh, the Jews, and and they, they carefully follow what their religious leaders tell them rather than, as Martin Luther said, unless I can be convinced by the plain reading of the scripture. See, that hallmark is what the Lord has said that we must personally receive the engrafted word. That's the right road to heaven. Others by their temples, the Mormons, the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Shintoists, others by their prophet, the Muslims, the Scientologists, the cultists, all of them have a pathway that the church, synagogue, or temple tells them about that they have never personally discerned by a personal, direct communion with the infinite God of the universe who has revealed himself in his word. Others go on a road to somewhere. They design it themselves. They're not sure even where it's going, and they're the secularists and the atheists and the evolutionists. But any road that anyone travels, it doesn't match the road we see in Revelation, which is the culmination of all of the scriptures. It's the last book for a reason. And and if we don't see the characteristics that God reveals in the orchestration of the worship of the redeemed in heaven, then they're on the wrong road. Now, Now think about this. What's so unique about the book of Revelation is through the book of Revelation, we get to see who makes it to heaven. Chapter 22, where we're going to read in a moment, if, if those in chapter 22 don't look like the road that you're on, then you're on the wrong road because those you see in chapter 22 of Revelation are the ones that are there forever. See, that's, that's the value of this book and the study and the blessing of it because any road that anyone travels that doesn't match the road we see in Revelation is not a road that goes to heaven because those are the people that are in heaven. Well, there are two completely different destinations. Uh, Any other way than the way of God's word is the way that heads straight to hell by way of the first stop through the door of the grave called Hades. And we've we've talked about that at length. The grave is where dark terrors, you know, we're we're heading toward, you know, this is the month that that everybody uh, spends, it's become what, the second or third largest holiday in, in terms of billions of dollars spent in America. And primarily the overtone of it is horror, death, grave, and occultic background. 
And, and it's amazing that people kind of enjoy that as a holiday. But the grave is where dark terrors greet each new arrival, awaiting their turn to stand before the great white throne's judge. And we know who's going to sit on the great white throne because John 5 tells us already that the one sitting on the throne is none other than Jesus Christ the Lord, the Son of the Almighty God. And everybody that dies awakens apart from those in Christ in this terror of having to face the one that they either neglected or rejected. And that's, that's the true destination of those who don't come the way of the Word of God. This morning, we're going to note the contrast between the joyous delights of the church of the firstborn. By the way, that's what the people in heaven are called. They're called the church of the firstborn in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And it says that there's an innumerable company in festal celebration, like a giant festival, like a a huge, uh, wonderful banquet celebration. And what a contrast between that and the horrible plight of all the others. Only God gives the last word on this destination and on the roads out of this life and the only way to heaven. Now, that's why there are a lot of things we can know in life. You know, we can be an expert on all kinds of stuff. I've met people that are experts on the most amazing things. Uh, This past spring when I bought my hive uh, or nook of, of uh, Michigan bees. I've always, I'm a beekeeper. I used to have uh, only Georgia bees because you get them through the mail, you know. If it's on Amazon, it's good. But I never realized they died every year because they weren't Michigan bees. And so I bought some Michigan bees. And I had no idea that the person I bought them from was the professor, the doctor, a woman over all the bee studies at University of Michigan. I got a lot more than bees. I mean, she just started explaining every, everything about the bees. And I thought, there, and she was a, a bee disease expert. She knew every kind of bees from the Amazon to the Himalayas and what diseases they had and how to treat them. And, and I didn't think I was going to get my bees in the trunk. I mean, because there were so many things I was learning about bees. Did you know you can spend, and it's wonderful, I'm glad, because she's helping many countries not have their bees die. But did you know there's a lot of things you can spend your life learning? But make sure you learn that last point. The only way to heaven is explained once and for all by God in his word, the Bible. Don't trust what anybody else says. Check it yourself. I mean, it's so interesting. Uh, people, when, when, when they go to the ATM, they check to make sure that the ATM didn't cheat them. And when people get changed, they check. And when people, you know, buy something, they examine it. But people will blindly head toward the, the afterlife and never personally check if they have reservations. See, that's what Revelation challenges us, to know the God who tells us about the end. Well, there's only one completely clear pathway to heaven. And by the way, uh, I I checked, and I'll I'll read the stats here. Uh, According to to those who who regulate all this, that the average person now will live 78.3 years. And so we have inside of us, now that's the average person that's blending everybody in America together. And of course, your, your health habits and your sex and your genetic makeup are all going to factor into that. But the average person will live 78.3 years. So all that to say, each of us in our body has an internal mortality clock that's counting down to death. 
It's kind of like uh, if you have a wireless mouse, you go up there, Bluetooth, you look at it, and it tells you have 18% battery left. Did you know that there is an exact countdown, and the Lord says we each have an appointment with death, and it's counting down, just like your battery indicator, just like whatever else, your balance. It's counting down. This internal mortality clock counting down to death of how many breaths, of how many heartbeats, and of how many moments are left for us to live. So no matter what we do, God has programmed us all to inescapably face death of our bodies. And that's what the vast majority, the vast, vast, vast majority of every human being that will ever live. Now, two have not died, you know, Enoch and Elijah. Uh, Other than those two, Everybody else has this countdown and this clock running. Other than a very few that will be alive when Jesus comes to take his church out of this world. But other than that, this clock is counting down inescapably toward death. All humans will go to the grave except for those whom God has promised, whoever lives and believes in me, that's Jesus Christ, shall never die. For us, he comes or calls. For us who believe that promise, he comes either in the clouds or he calls for us to walk us personally through the valley of the shadow of death. But that's the one completely clear pathway to heaven. So the most crucial question everyone should be asking is, how do I escape death? How do I escape that waiting room? How do I escape the horrors of the grave awaiting, facing the judge, either neglected or rejected? And and you would think that that would just be headline news instead of you know, Foxcom's uh, riots in China that might slow up the iPhone production. Did you know they're making iPhones faster than people are being born into the world? You want to know one thing that's exceeding the, the birth rate? iPhone production. There are more of those made every day than people born. And it's just, it's just unbelievable. Oh, that's a great thing to know. But do you know when your clock time runs out where you're going? You would think people would worry or wonder Well, the final word on who makes it to heaven. Now we're going to get to Revelation 22. Uh, Attached to the picture that we have in Revelation of the beauty of heaven, attached to the picture are instructions. Instructions. The instructions are all about who and how to get there, who gets there and how they got there. And it's the most important information. It's the most fascinating information to me that I could think of. So... The final word on who makes it to heaven. Look, look at Revelation 22, 17. I'm just, there's too many of these, and I don't, I don't want you to miss them, so don't stand up. Just follow along in your Bible, okay? And by the way, did you know this is the most precious possession there could be in the world? If there's anything that is, that is the most precious thing you could ever own or purchase or have, it's your very own direct recording of God telling you everything that is vital for for life and godliness. To understand life and to understand how to be in heaven. Godliness. Look at verse 17. Here's the first one. Those in heaven drank the water of life, which Jesus explained was the Spirit of God. This is what it says. And the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Do you know what the ending of Revelation says? That the people that get to heaven 
are the people who personally drink of the water of life. Those who personally, as Jesus said, have that fountain that becomes a river flowing out of their life. And he says, I'm referring, John 7, 38 and 39, to the Holy Spirit. You see, everybody that's in heaven, it's because the Holy Spirit has, from the inside, regenerated them. They have drank. You know what's interesting? You have to drink for yourself. It's wonderful to watch everybody around you drinking. It doesn't do you any good. In fact, it harms you a little bit. You want some. And, and that's the personal nature. Jesus called salvation like eating and like drinking. So number one, the final word on who makes it to heaven is those in heaven, those that we see are going to be in heaven, are those that have drunk of the water of life. Look at the verse before it. We're backing up. Look at verse 16. It says in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Remember, this whole book is written for the church. For us, who are alive right now in these last days, as the book of Hebrew calls it, the, the last days that started from the cross of Christ and they go until the end of days for this earth. But the last days are while we're here in the church. And you know what Jesus said to us? He says, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify these things in the churches. I want these things in the churches testified. I want the book of Revelation. Sadly, it hasn't been testified very much over the centuries. But I want them to know that I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. Those in heaven believed that Jesus was who he said he was. By the way, Jesus, to, to be saved, we must believe Jesus is who he said he was. Not who we make him out to be. Not who we in, reinterpret him to be. Not who we, you know, uh, disregard the, the factual account to, to make him into something else. You know who he is? He's the root. The root of David. David lived a thousand years before Christ, chronologically. But Jesus is his root. That means David came from Christ. What does that mean? How could that be? Jesus is the creator. He's the one that created David and everybody else. He is the creator of this universe. He is the one that allows and grants conception and life. He's also the offspring of David. That means Jesus is the promised seed. He's the Messiah through Abraham, Isaac, and David's line, not through Ishmael or anybody else. You know, there's people, they say, well, the, you know, the Muslims believe in the same God we do. No, they don't. Because their God didn't proclaim that a promised seed would come through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his descendant, David, and through him, the Messiah. And Jesus said, that's who I am. I am the root and the offspring of David. Here's another one just to look at in verse 15, if you back up to the next verse. But outside are dogs... And sorcerers, that's an interesting word, sorcerer, pharmakeia. Those who are controlled, their, their, their will, their, their bodies, their minds are controlled by drugs that open them to the occult. You know what's so interesting, and, and I you know, don't advocate too much of this, but if you ever want to read something that's amazing, Read about the accounts of what these LSD takers see and how horrible it is. Because what happens with mind-altering drugs, it opens up to see more of the spiritual world than most of us are used to seeing. 
And those people, when they open to the occult and to witchcraft and to pharmakeia and to sorcery as this word, sorcerers, those who, who use drugs for this occultic purposes, they're outside, they're not in heaven. And sexually immoral. You know what sexually immoral means? Any sexuality outside the, the boundaries of a covenant marriage between a man and a woman. Everything else, including living together and trying it out and only doing it once and, you know, tax reasons and I don't have an apartment or whatever and we got to live together. Everything else is sexual immorality. And they who never repent of that are outside. They're not in heaven. It's interesting. Those in heaven repented of their sins and were set free from these six or seven enslaving sins that are listed in verse 15. The immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, that's anybody who places anything higher than God. Whoa. You don't have to go to Mecca and bow down at the black cube to be an idolater. You don't have to go to the great Buddha standing pagoda Buddha over in the Orient. You can just think your job, your money, your sports, your looks, your career is more important than God, and it's idolatry. That's why the last verse of 1 John says, little children, he's talking to the church, he's talking to Christians. 1 John 5, 21, keep yourselves from idols. What's idols? It's a covetous desire for something greater than God. A lot of idolatry going on. In fact, the, the latest po little political cartoon I saw was very fascinating. It said, this, this is what in 30 years the rest homes are going to be filled with. And it was a whole bunch of people all like this, and their hands were like this. And what it's saying is that everyone for so long is going to be hunched over and, and, you know, doing their, their keying, their texting and everything else, that they're all going to be like this in the, with their hands, you know, over-texted and their bodies over-bent. But you know what? There's an idol. Do you know how many people will be online almost all day long and they can't remember the last time they listened to the voice of God? That means online is more important than God. That's called idolatry. And if you never repent of that, the scriptures say that you're outside. If, if God is always less than everything else, then you can't claim that you're one of his redeemed ones because his redeemed ones overcome the sirens of the world that draw us away from him. Well, not to stay too long in verse 15. Verse 14 says those in heaven were doers. They weren't just hearers of God's word. Look what it says in 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. They may enter through the gates into the city. Do you know who's in heaven? Not the ones that heard it. Not the ones that thought it was great to hear it. Not the ones that knew all about it. Those that didn't just hear it, but did it. That's why Jesus said in, in Matthew 7, in fact, Lord willing, next week we're going to come back to the final point. The final point is, the book of Revelation reveals to us how to know in this life who is really part of God's family. And what we're going to do is we're going to see the gospel presentations in Revelation and show them how clearly they, re they line up with what Jesus Christ himself said. 
but those who are doers. Finally, if you want to go to right at the beginning of the 22nd chapter, look at verse 3. Those in heaven, the people we see in heaven, the final word on who makes it to heaven, the people that are there are those who serve God and the Lamb during their lives on earth. And they just keep on doing it into heaven. Look what it says. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Do you know who's in heaven? People who are serving God and the Lamb. Those who are his bondservants. And that's what they're called in this life too. And that's how they behave. As servants belonging to God. Well, the foundational truths that guide us through this life. Last time we saw God's voice from heaven describes the real heaven. We also saw God's voice from heaven declares there's an eternal heaven and hell. This week we see that God demands one way of salvation. The only way to heaven is through having imputed to you by faith. And that's what all of Revelation 4 and 5 is about. This this faith in the redemptive, blood-soaked, substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, which we're celebrating at communion, which is described in the Word of God. Now, the only way to heaven is faith in that substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. And the truth we each need to settle our minds and hold tightly to in the days ahead is this. Beware of other ways of salvation that bypass Jesus. God's voice from heaven says the only way to heaven is that way, the substitute way. You say, why do you bring that up? Well, beware of other ways that bypassed heaven. There's a nice looking guy in that picture. I mean, he looks a little bit like Mr. Rogers, you know, if you ever watch children's television. And this guy is an esteemed Boston College theologian. Boston College is a Catholic university. And he is a Roman Catholic scholar. And he is revered by those that read those kind of books. And just one of his books, Ecumenical Jihad, Ecumenism and the Culture War, he wrote during the time when I was doing my doctoral work at Dallas. And so I remember picking up that book right there, Ecumenical Jihad. And I picked it up and I started reading it. And basically, it's a story. He says that during Hurricane Felix or something, I'd never heard of that one, I don't know when it was, but he was walking down the shore and a massive wave generated by the hurricane out in the ocean knocked him down and caused him, Peter Kreeft, to fall on the beach. His head hit a rock, the wave buried him, and he had, it's one of those books going to heaven. And, and that's what this is about. It's his account of going to heaven. And he says when he got to heaven, he was just wiping away the seawater, and he looked up, and this smiling, beaming oriental man reached down and lifted him up and says, welcome to heaven. And he said, who are you? And he says, I am Confucius. He said, you're here? Confucius said, yes, and you have much to learn. And he took him along, and they bumped into another oriental guy. It was Buddha himself. Mahatma. And he said, you're here too? Peter Kreeft asked him. And Buddha says, yes, you have much to learn, Peter. They were walking toward more into the realm of heaven and they bumped into a Middle Eastern guy. Guess who was there? Yeah, Muhammad. And then finally they saw a Jew. Well, glad one made it, you know. Moses was there too. And this whole book, believe it or not, is his out-of-body story about how actually all religions are kind of going the same way. And if you will just set aside and jettison your, your 
your antagonistic holding to controversial things, you'll find that all the religions say the same thing. You know, that's what ecumenical things are about. Ecumenism's plea to drop doctrinal differences to advance the good. That's what it's all about. Well, I, I thought that book's terrible. And so I, I put it down. And, uh, and as soon as I put it down, I started setting it on the desk and I looked at the back cover. And there were two of the most well-known Christians in the world on the back cover of that book. It's amazing. Kreef's whole book was about dropping the offense of the cross, taking the heart of uh, the gospel away. And, and as I shut the book and put it down, on the back cover were these recommendations. Well, who were they? Well, number one, the first was by J.I. Packer. And it wasn't so, I mean, there's nothing wrong with reviewing a book. Review any book you want. Be careful what you say. You know what J.I. Packer said? He said, Catholics, Protestants, and Orthodox alike need to ponder Peter Kreef's vision of things, preferably in discussion. Now look at though, what if he's right? Kreef, right? Confucius in heaven? Do you think Confucius fits in that picture? Do you think that Muhammad fits in that picture or Buddha? All the self-help work, Eastern religion, do it on your own, uh, earn your way to heaven? What, what if he's right? Wow. How about Chuck Colson? He was the other one on there. You know what he said? Peter Kreeft is one of the premier apologists in America today. Apologists for what? Now, I'm not saying anything about J.I. or, or uh, Chuck Colson's souls. But you say, that's hard to believe. Well, you know what? You can do just what I did. I checked it out uh, yesterday once again. Just go to Google and type the words Amazon, Kreeft, Ecumenical, and Jihad. That's Amazon, the author, and the title of the book. And you will get the, the look inside link. You know, that's what Amazon lets you read inside of any book, hoping you'll buy it. And just turn to the link that says back cover, and you'll see right in the midst of Confucius, Muhammad, and Buddha being in heaven with Moses, J.I. Packer saying, what if he's right? And Colson saying, he's premier. Well, there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. Beware of any way of salvation that bypasses Christ. Any. And anybody that says that is dangerous. And Paul said, if anybody brings to you any other gospel than the gospel I have shared with you, then let them be anathema, a curse from the presence of God. God is serious about salvation. Revelation 5 and verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain. We come to communion, to worship the one who said he gave himself for each of us individually. That's the Christ who became sin, who became our substitute, who allowed God to treat him like he committed every one of our sins. That's the gospel. In fact, when Charles Wesley, at age 31, understood salvation, he wrote these words, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? 
I'm the one who caused his pain for me. I'm the one to put him to death. See, that's the words of a saved person. They don't talk in generalities about the world and about sin. They go, me. Kind of like when the Pharisee and the publican went to the temple and the Pharisee said, man, I'm glad I'm not as bad as all these people around me. And the publican couldn't even lift up his face. He said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. You know what he said? I'm the worst sinner I know in the world, in the universe. I am. And I don't, I don't merit even your attention. But if you want to be merciful to me. That was Wesley's testimony. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And then he ended and said, no condemnation. Now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, clothed in his righteousness divine. That's how we get to heaven. Not by following, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you about what Kreef said that Muhammad, Confucius, and Buddha all agreed to. They all agree, he found out, because he's been studying this his whole life, that Buddhism, Shintoism, Confucianism, and Islam, and Hinduism, all revere Mary. Isn't that amazing? That's the unifying element that's going to, in Revelation 17, unite world religions, is Mary. And isn't it funny that all these out-of-body people that go to heaven see her right next to Jesus interceding? Well, no condemnation I dread because Jesus is mine. And I can approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ. And his amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? At communion, we remember the price that Christ paid. Let's bow for a word of prayer. As we bow, I invite the elders and deacons to go and prepare to serve us. And I invite you, with head bowed, to prepare for communion. Make sure your hands are clean and your heart is pure. Only Jesus can cleanse both. And he has said that though once and for all he's forgiven us, we have to be confessing our sins and agreeing with him and asking him to make us so that we don't partake in an unworthy way of this table. And so our job right now is to say, I repent. I ask for your cleansing from all the ways that I have failed and disobeyed you. And I thank you that you already, once and for all, have forgiven me, but I want you to cleanse me. Let's do that so with pure hearts and clean hands we can worship him this morning. Father, we bow before you. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, that cleanses us not from some, not from many, but from all unrighteousness. And we are those who have gathered to celebrate that you gave yourself for us. We ask for your cleansing now by the grace that causes your sacrifice to atone once and for all, but to cleanse us moment by moment. Because as we walk through life, our lives do get get dirty like feet walking in the dust and we have to have those feet cleansed though our whole body has already been purified by your sacrifice. We have to have that cleansing for fellowship. 
And I pray that we'd be able to fellowship with you through this celebration of communion and that this will be a rich offering to you on this Fellowship Sunday. Thank you for the bread, your body portrayed, given for us. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.